3: Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman.
1: Hello and welcome to the PR Show. I'm Marvin Hickman and today we are going to look at pitching and whether the pitching process is broken. Almost every agency leader we speak to at PR Week loves to moan about pitching. Just the other week at our PR 360 conference in Brighton, one agency boss described pitching as a shit show and another said it was broken. It's a view that seems to be held by bosses at agencies of all shapes and sizes and others in the process, including some clients and new business consultants. To unpack pitching, I am joined by two agency bosses, James Herring from Taylor Herring and Mandy Sharp from Tin Man, and SNAP's Director of International Communications, Tanya Ridd, who has also held senior comms roles at Apple and worked in agency side. Welcome to you all. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. James, before we kick off proceedings, you had some pretty prickly views about pitching at PR360. You were the guy who called it a shit show. And you also had a few choice words about procurement. Perhaps you can just elaborate for our listeners. Ah oh dear. Well, procurement,
3: the procurement problem. I apologise to anyone from procurement listening. It's really not every procurement department, but it's probably about 50%. Okay, I'm them. glad we cleared that up. It's about half of them, I think. Um and I think the problem with it is that you know PR is a um, creative business, we're not a commodity product, mm. and the trouble is is that there aren't that many specialists in procurement who procure creative services, and I, and it's not an exaggeration to say that I have spoken to people in procurement who have just come off the phone trying to do a deal on photocopy of paper or hand towels, and then you find yourself trying to have a discussion about what you do, and there's a, a lack of understanding. Um, So, uh, and I think that what has happened, the modern procurement way, has made what has always been a very complicated and complex process far
1: more complicated than Mm. it needs to be. Okay. Well, we're going to touch a little bit more on procurement a bit later in the show. Um, Before we sort of dive into the nuts and bolts of pitching, I kind of wanted to ask each of you, what is your one pitching horror story? And how many pitches have you been involved in in the past year? I'll start with you, Mandy.
0: Oh, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the number. Quite a few pitches over the last year. Um,
1: Are we talking, what, 10, 20, 30?
0: Um,
1: 100?
0: I would say 20, probably, pitches. Okay. Um a variety of horror stories. Um, I think <laughs> there is a general rule of horror stories, though. There's a lot of theme that runs for all of them um, that end up being the ones that you talk about. Usually they're the ones where you've got huge number of agencies pitching Mm -hmm. that clients won't make time to brief you properly Mm. or uh, meet you face-to-face or really talk about the problems that they've got or what they want the agencies to actually solve. Um, They ask for big decks to be sent in um, on three pages um, in three days alongside a number of other agencies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you finally do get to meet these people, um, you've never met them before, there's a lack of chemistry, you could be the last one of ten that's met these you know, the team. There's no energy. Um and so the list goes on and it's just a kind of cacophony uh, of A Perfect issues. Storm, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: What so. about what about you, James? How many pictures has Taylor Herring been involved in, in the past year and what's your horror story? Well, I would say we're
3: probably doing at least one or two a week.
1: Okay, that's mm. quite a lot. So
3: we definitely do a lot of them. Uh horror stories a couple of years ago and i remember it well because it was about a week before christmas we got asked by a very big brand um to pitch for their account Mm -hmm. Got very over excited about this and um the brief came and it was a really tight turnaround i think we had about seven working days before christmas and the response was on the third of january something kind of you know you're at the end of the year and on your knees but anyway we were excited about about going for it so we did uh the brief arrived and with the brief was a note saying um, you're invited in uh, the day after tomorrow to come and meet our chief marketing officer who is going to tell us all about his new vision for the brand and you'll have an opportunity to ask any questions. So we thought, well, this is exciting. You don't normally get a CMO in the room. must be taking it seriously. So we turned up at their HQ and we were ushered into a boardroom. And in the boardroom, um, we met the four other agencies who'd all been asked Uh, to pitch but we didn't realize that we were all in there in a group Q&A session so it's like a live live audition but so this guy basically presented his vision showed the TV spots and then it was like any questions and of course it was just tumbleweed because Mm. nobody wanted to ask any questions because they're worried about showing their hand because of course if you ask a question you're potentially doing that with a an interest to to try and find a solution to Mm. the problem so that I think was excruciating for all of us uh, on the agency side and certainly for the client as well so I think just an oversight there in
1: in, in transparency (laughs) Yeah, I mean Tanya I I can't imagine you've been involved in too many pitches in the past year or at least least I should hope not
4: Well, I mean for me it's not so much about just the UK because my brief is international Mm -hmm. so I've probably been involved in about five or six I would say in the past year but none in the UK mostly uh, new markets for us that we're expanding Mm -hmm. into Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think, again, like horror stories, I can't say that there is a specific horror story. I do think sometimes, though, you start a pitch and you know quite quickly that there is, you know, a lack of connection. There's a lack of understanding, perhaps, of the business. I think my observations are sometimes a real lack of immersion in the business, Mm -hmm. so just kind of basic errors about what the company is, what it does, you know, lack of reading of the brief. And often ideas that either, you know, just aren't, they're quite blue sky, they're difficult to implement, Mm -hmm. they're not sort of clear where the PR value is going to be. Um, and I think that's the issue for me is that, you know, you're early on in those discussions and, and you've kind of then got to go through a, an hour and a half or a two hour sort of process. Sure. Sort of knowing that from the outset.
1: Okay. Now, now James, um, you mentioned before that you came, um, from a pitch today in Wakefield, um, and you're glowing and you said it was very good. Uh, Can you tell us which client that was with and, and how the pitch process went? I can't tell you, um,
3: which, which client it was, but it went brilliantly, um, it went brilliantly because there weren't any other agencies uh, on the pitch list and the pitch lists, are the, the best pitches are the ones where there isn't really a pitch and we had been recommended uh, at board level from a current client that we we're working for to, uh, to another board and all the right people in the room, the CFO was there, the CMO was there, the whole comms team, yep. everybody was aligned about what the company needed to do. And a SPD decision uh, is expected. So it was it was fantastic.
1: How did you get invited to that pitch? You mentioned before that it, it
3: was a non-competitive pitch. So a high-level recommendation from an existing client um, on their board level to another board director mm-hmm. on that client. So, in as always, in our in in the game, uh, word of mouth and a word of mouth personal recommendation is always the best recommendation, and. Um, so
1: yeah that was that was a happy happy pitch experience. Mm-hmm. Mandy what about you what what's the best pitch that you can recall being in what what did it provide agencies
0: Well like James we've had a few pitch wins where we've been kind of the only one really in the mix mm. through various contacts word of mouth most of our pitches come through word of mouth I would say and through people who've worked with us before which is always great. Um we've had a couple of really good pitch processes recently um i think one stands out particularly because it was speedy there was two agencies so the client had really done their research before picking the agencies they wanted to pitch so we did a chemistry and a, and a quick creds but there was only two there was i think there was three and eventually there was just two agencies that pitched mm-hmm. um, they spent time briefing us we really understood what they wanted what they didn't want what was going to work well etc And we pitched it. There was the right people in the room. There was the marketing director, et cetera. People at the right level who knew what the whole business was looking for. Um, And we won it.
1: Okay. And it was just
0: smooth, easy, quick.
1: Mm -hmm. Very painless.
0: Yeah, respectful, et cetera. Okay.
1: What about you, Tanya? What's the best pitch process that you've been involved in, either on client side or agency side?
4: Well, probably, I mean, just in recent memory, um, we were going into a new market recently. We went in. We were meeting two agencies. Um, one of the agencies was spot on. And in fact, we'd asked both agencies as part of the pitch process because we were completely new to the market uh, to maybe introduce us to one or two um, journalists that they worked with. Um, in the case of this particular agency, not only did we feel great chemistry with the team, the actual presentation, the content, the strategy, the ideas was spot on. Um, but we ended up spending the best part of a day with them. Shuttling around this rather large city, meeting reporters, which they laid on for us. And it gave us an opportunity to get to know the team really well and also see them in action, mm-hmm. you know, get the measure of the relationships they had, because the media relations part of this was particularly important for us. So that was a, a great you know, experience. And as a result, you know, they we appointed them as an agency.
1: Okay, fantastic. So good and bad. Um, but let's be honest here. Um, a lot of agency bosses do moan about pitching. It's a bit of a bugbear. And a lot tell me that the process is not fit for purpose. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of a story, but in Manchester recently, apparently an agency called Mason Williams won a pitch. That featured 16 agencies. It was for a London restaurant, and the winning agency had to pitch three times before winning this business, or at least that's what we're told. Um, Claire Mason um, at Man Bites Dog wants to kill the pitching process. Um, Ketchum's Joanne Robertson wants serious reform, complaining about the time, drain in resources and number of agencies often involved. (laughs) Mandy, you've been involved in quite a bit of pitching lately and yeah. you turned down quite a lot. Mm-hmm. What would be really useful for our listeners, and I'll, I'll get the um, other panelists' views, is mm-hmm. just describe the typical pitch process in 2019 and how this might have changed over, over time.
0: Well, it depend, depends on the scale of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had a couple of instances with big brands that have contacted us um, where there's been eight agencies that they've asked to write full pitches for without meeting them and just sending through pitch decks, which is, to me, flawed, Mm -hmm. totally flawed, and totally pointless for seven, at least, of those agencies. Um, But a more kind of standard process would be um, come in and meet us for chemistry or creds. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they give you one kind of challenge, which will just kind of give them an indication of your thinking or creativity, which I think is fine. Um, From that, they will then whittle it down to say, well, this is the ideal, three three agencies. Any more than that, I think it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, you will then go and and pitch and present um, some ideas. But I think the key is having the right people in the room and giving... I mean, I've got about five golden rules for pitching if I was to, like, be able to... What, have are, this they, what are they?
4: Okay. Give us okay. your five golden right. rules.
0: Um, I think the first one is about research. Mm-hmm. It's about asking clients to research the agencies before they start those conversations because otherwise you're going from the extreme to the ridiculous. You have such a broad range of agencies out there that I think clients just need to know what feels right from their research before they start engaging agencies because although it's so, there's so much time involved in pitching, time and money and resource, um, that I think it has to be right. Um, so that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is face-to-face time, brief agencies face-to-face. Um Spend time explaining what you need. Ex- give all the information. So some clients are always worried about telling agencies the budget of what they want to spend, and I don't understand that. And I've always, um, I will always push back and say, you know, you have to give us some idea of what you want to spend on your PR to mm-hmm. be able to gauge the ideas we then come back with. Otherwise, you know, you can be talking five grand to five hundred grand. It's, it's a, you know, you need some level of guidance there. Um, time. Give agencies time. Mm-hmm. That's the third one. It's about letting agencies come back with a proper response, you will never get a good pitch response in three days. Cause is, that, is that
1: standard three days? Is that pretty no, average? No,
0: I'm being, I'm being a bit dramatic. But sometimes, sometimes clients, you know, you, you get a brief and we need a response. on You get a brief on Monday and you need a response by Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pointless because to get a proper response for a proper pitch, you know, agencies have to understand that brand, the context, the background, the competitors. They've got to do the research and find, you know, the insight to be able to come up with something that will work. Um, otherwise, nothing's ever thought, thought, thought through. Mm-hmm. Um, properly. Um, decision makers, I've talked about having all the right decision makers in the room at the right time because otherwise we've had this so many times. You've presented ideas to part of a team. Somebody might come in halfway through. You've got to represent everything or you have half a team in a pitch and then they're the, those people are then tasked to have to try and resell your ideas to other stakeholders within the business, which is really hard for them. Just and it's an an, that's an extra layer. That's they're mm-hmm. never going to be able to sell your ideas because you know, it's third third time down the road, and then I think the, fourth, the fifth one is just about respect. I think all good agency and client relationships start with kind of good mutual respect. And most of our, you know most clients are great. I mean, I'm I'm just talk- being as in the bad sure. in the bad here, but you know, it's it's about having I mean, you know just, just respect really. Give, mm. Giving agencies a glass of water in the room. I mean, we've been to pitches where we spent for two hours and not one client has ever offered us a glass of water.
1: We even give you glasses of water at the PR show.
0: I mean, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> So, yeah.
1: Okay. Would you add anything to that, Tanya? What what does an ideal pitch process look like in 20? What does an average pitch process look like is probably a better way.
4: Well, I kind of agree because, you know, I think keeping this sort of um, being very deliberate about who you invite to pitch and also keeping the field quite small because I think clients are investing time as well in the process. You know, you're kind of committed to kind of meeting with people, briefing people, you know going through the sort of presentations, taking the deck away afterwards and sort of reviewing it um, and then sitting down collectively to decide what meets your business objectives best. So Mm -hmm. I think it's in your own interests to actually kind of look at this in terms of very meaningful choices that you make along the way. I mean, I agree about respect as well. I think, you know, all the good um, relationships that we have and the best work that we do with our agency partners is built on a partnership Mm -hmm. and, you know, a partnership of trust, and a partnership where we feel like we can sort of share with them, you know, a detailed sort of insight into the challenges that we face that allows them to offer us credible and, and useful, you know, consultancy. Uh-huh. Um, so, I yeah, I, I would agree with most of what you say in that sense. And that tends to be the approach that we take when we go into market. We're not looking to have a massive field. We might ask for a selection of creds at the outset, um, and then we'll go through those quite deliberately, go back and ask for examples of work because we tend to know the sort of things we're looking for. Um, and, in fact, in some markets, uh, in our in, in France, for example, we have two agencies rather than one because we knew we had a difficult brief for one agency to meet. But that's not the norm. It, it tends to be very much case-by-case case on the market. Do
1: you, do you find the processes are quite different depending on the market that you operate in or what the agencies need?
4: It does. It depends if the sort of businesses, you know, some of our businesses or business units in certain markets are much more mature than others. You know, Mm -hmm. the UK is a good example of a very mature part of our business. It was the second office that we set up. Um, And also, I just I think the ecosystem here is much more sophisticated um, than some of the sort of other markets that we deal with internationally. Would
1: that mean that Snapchat would look for more sophisticated partners in, in some of those markets where you're not as well established?
4: Uh, it depends what's available in the market. Certainly, you're looking for a degree of understanding of how a business like ours operates. The understanding of you know what it means to be a US tech company and how that reflects into market. Mm. But you're also looking for that local understanding. So I don't think you want to impose, you know, uh, or prejudge what the right agency looks like in a market. You want to understand the market, the culture, and then also sort of try to fit the two pieces together. That cultural understanding and local market relevance with, you know, understanding the dynamics of a US tech company.
1: Sure. James, anything else to add about what the current pitch process involves? I think they've pretty much covered it. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let, let's move the debate along to which parts of the pitch process are specifically broken. Where are the fault lines? Where are the major areas of tension and friction in your view? I think it's it all starts with a great brief. And
3: so often... The brief is broken Mm. and the reason it's broken is that it tends to be written by committee and sometimes even the key decision maker isn't actually going to get what they want out of it. You Mm. can almost see where people have cut and pasted their own bits of the different Mm. stakeholders and the different departments into what they're trying to do because hiring an an agency is a big commitment and therefore lots of voices in in, in the whole marketing department want to put their 10 cents worth into it. Um, And one of the first things that we do when we've got a brief is to say do you mind if we try and ball this down can we try and get it onto a post-it note Mm -hmm. and then can we play that back to you and just be 100% clear that this is the one thing we must do Mm. and we know that you put five key messages in here but really we can only tell one at a time because people have short attention spans and journalists are not very generous with how much they're going to say so maybe two (laughs) key messages say at best Mm. and so to have um to have a process which is collaborative in 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 deconstructing what, what's required, I think it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole mm. with fifteen pages of, 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 you know, um crowdsourced briefing at their wow. end.
1: So having permission to be able to do that is always a good start. So with with those um, pitch briefs that are actually really good and effective, do you find that they're generally owned by comms or other parts of the business? Is there generally one person who takes ownership of that or how does it work? I think it varies massively um, from client to client and that's – there's
3: no – there is no – they all – every brief looks radically different. Mm. You can tell where it's been when it's been owned by marketing because it will say – Here's the strap line for our new T V commercial along the top and therefore all ideas need to fall in under that and it, it might not be anything that you could realise as a PR story. Mm. So PR really an afterthought and those sorts of reasons. Uh, well, it's that whole trying to build matching luggage out of a marketing strap line um that you still see all too often. Mm-hmm. Um here's what we're gonna be saying on our out of home and on TV and therefore PR needs to say the same thing. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, th- those are the worst, I'd say. <laughs> okay, uh, Mandy, for you, where are other major problems in in the whole process?
0: I think James's point is totally key. I think the mm-hmm. brief you have, it does need to start with a good brief, um, but I think it just it just goes down to finding the right agencies, and it's just there's just always too there's often too many in the mix, and I sometimes go into pitches and I feel like that. The client's never going to remember what we've said because they've already seen five agencies. Yeah. And you just feel it's almost like wasted, or there's that being rude, there's two junior people in the pitch and not enough senior people in the pitch. And I think it's just about how,
1: how junior does it get. I mean, what's some of the most junior people you've seen in, in that process?
0: Oh, I've had interns and stuff. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, are they well
1: qualified? to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not
0: only you. I mean, sure. I've never seen never pitched to just an intern, but mm-hmm. you know, there's and sometimes you just think. You know, are we on the same level in terms of the kind of thinking that we're going back with? Mm. Um, and that can be quite frustrating. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's so many so many
4: different things.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, what about you, now, Tanya? What, what's the areas of the process that you think don't currently work that well?
4: I thought it was really interesting your point about collaboration. Um, I mean, I'll just say from us in terms of writing the brief, um, we're quite a small team. So we tend to not have a lot of different stakeholders weighing in on what we're writing. Uh, We tend to kind of do the work at the back end, if you like, in terms of speaking to the different teams, understanding the business objectives, incorporating that into the brief and also working with marketing if we're trying to make sure that we've got sort of maximum impact for money that we're spending sort of above or through the line there. Um, I think for me, it often comes across as just understanding our business. You know, I really know when somebody actually uses the product or not. Mm-hmm. And it, you would be surprised about the amount of people who will come into a pitch and not use the product. Mm-hmm. I think a bit pet peeve for me right now is is really about influencers. Mm-hmm. Simply because I think a lot of people come in with influencer campaigns presenting to us, not understanding our platform. Sure. And so, you know, there's a it's a really different thing to come to snapchat and present an influencer campaign than probably to you know any other brand um and so i see a lot of that and that is a source of frustration but to me it boils down from either not using the product not understanding the business not having done the sort of requisite research Mm -hmm. um and that is probably a
1: This nicely brings us into our our next um, issue, which is procurement. Um, I know James is a big fan, but does (laughs) procurement play a huge role in in, in Snapchat and the way that it it sort of runs pitches?
4: Not for us. We're quite small. Bear in mind, we're a sort of, you know, seven-ish year old company that's Mm. growing pretty quickly and procurement isn't a big part of the process. Um, That said, I I think it will evolve. You know, Mm -hmm. we went public a year ago, just over a year ago. And I think as you kind of become a listed company, obviously there's governance issues that you need to sort of take into account. And I think there's that rigor that as you grow and as you develop, you know, is really important. Um, Certainly sort of in prior roles, yes, procurement was Mm, a big part I was going to ask you about your experiences
1: at Apple and what sort of role they might have played there.
4: But I think in large companies more generally, I think, yes, procurement is, you know, figures large. But I agree that where procurement can play a really good role is in a level playing field, I guess, in terms of all suppliers Mm -hmm. and understanding what best practice looks like, making sure that you're getting the best deal, if you like, and in negotiation. But they shouldn't be setting, you know, which agency you choose because it isn't a commodity. And, Mm. you know, and it should always be down to the comms team to decide who is the best fit, who is the best, you know, agency to support you. Um, And then you have to go through that procurement element in terms of, you know, refining what the contract looks like.
1: Yeah, because there is that risk, isn't there, when when you sort of commoditize things too much and it becomes all about cost rather than value. Absolutely. What's been your experience, Mandy, in terms of the role of procurement in mm. the past and, and how mm. that might be evolving?
0: Really varied. We've had um, a couple of quite big wins recently and we both have procurement um, involvement all the way through. Um I think procurement and marketing just have to work together. I think mm. that's the key thing is is what Tanya's saying. You can't have a procurement team telling a marketing team what agency to pick because you're never going to get the best agency for a job based on cost. It's just and I always think that there's much of a muchness when it comes to agencies of obviously depending on size and scale. Um and I totally understand that you know big a, big Big companies need procurement to, to manage costs and feel like they're getting a deal and getting value. I, I kind of understand and accept that. And I think most agencies will try and offer some form of value. I think problems arise when I think agencies feel that procurement's being unreasonable, um, whether it's payment terms or pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing for discounts mm. that make it very Uncomfortable for the agency, and also I've noticed that a lot of procurement negotiations are happening before you even know whether you've won the pitch, which is hours of time. And you know we've been through a pitch recently; we've actually we won it, luckily. But I felt so bad for the other agencies because I know how much negotiation and time has gone on behind the scenes with them and the procurement, mm. um, and they haven't got anything out of it. Mm. You know, and I, I it's difficult because obviously procurement needs agencies on board that can, map, you know, they can work with the various kind of needs that they have. Um, but I think it's, I think there has to be a simpler way.
1: Yeah. Well, what about you, James? I know, I know how much you're a fan of procurement. You, you've made that, your views quite public. Uh, how involved are procurement in, in pictures these days? And, and what sort of role?
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
1: Do you think they should play?
3: Well, it varies, and, I mean, in some of the big, in some of the bigger companies, they're very, very present from start to finish, and in other ones, less so. But mm-hmm. I think the reason why it sort of gets me hot under the collar um, is that. The process of choosing, uh, the whole process of finding a good agency partner is about that relationship building and being able to have human contact and being able to talk to each other during that process. Mm. And procurement have made that quite a one way process. And so typically it will start with you're sent an Excel spreadsheet, about mm. 300 pages. <laughs> of it Mm. where you need to basically identify put in loads and loads of key skills and loads and loads of case studies and loads and loads of stuff which you know that in that form as a spreadsheet will absolutely not be read by the client Mm. it is unreadable Mm. and therefore they have all all they have done is they've fulfilled an exercise Mm. in having that form put in a filing cabinet and it will never be read again Mm. but from an agency side small agency like us you're talking about 20, 30 hours of, of, of you know, my FD's time, mm. uh, of our COO's time to be able to get that right. And it sort of starts from there, really. Mm. And then, um, you know, the other, th- other things that have already been mentioned, somebody in, 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 in procurement decided that you need to see five or six agencies. It's far, far too many. Um, three is the sweet spot number I think more than three we, we would be asking ourselves whether or not we wanted to go ahead mm. on the day if you're the fourth or fifth agency through the door the client is going to be absolutely jaded to pieces by the time you get in there um, from from an agency side you can you can feel that lack of excitement in the room um, and I think that that is the problem, is the fact that they're trying to sort of eliminate a human contact in the process. So that ability to be able to just ring up, have a chat, to be able to talk about something, to pop in and run something by somebody, that has sort of been taken out because in some way that is deemed to be unfair, an unfair advantage. It's not an unfair advantage. How can you possibly do the right work without being able to ask the right questions? Um, and on the commercials, I mean, I think the you know, this has happened a lot to us, Um you, The worst worst example, I think, happened in, in, in February. Before we were even given the brief, we were asked to negotiate or show what our discount on our rate card would be <laughs> before we've even put the ideas to the table. Mm-hmm. And that is the equivalent of trying to buy a photocopy of paper. Yeah. That, that, that's ridiculous. And ultimately, I think that if procurement really cared about making the pitch process fairer and better, they would call you up afterwards and they'll go... What do you think of our pitch process? Mm. Now, I have done hundreds of pitches. That has never, ever Mm. happened. And if I was in charge of best practice of procurement at Big Company Limited, I would want to make sure that our pitch process is really, really good Mm. and that I'm getting the best work out of clients. So... I mean, it's not – I don't know how it's ended up going down this route, but like I said, in some places it's worse than others. But I don't think the clients are going to get the best responses from agencies if they carry on being this sort of box-ticking exercise.
1: Is procurement commoditizing PR and comm services? Is that a fair comment? I would say they
3: often do. I mean, in in companies where marketing is highly valued and part of their DNA, like in companies like Diageo, for example – who is, they have 20 or 30 brands, right, then a procurement department plays an absolutely invaluable role to be able to match the skill set of an agency that maybe understands dance music or or Snapchat mm. from somebody that will understand how to do a high-end whiskey experience um, and, 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 and leverage, you know, uh, super quality deluxe brands at, at a premium level. So a procurement department there is absolutely invaluable for, mm. for companies like that. Um, But I I think that it it does get commoditised and I think that procurement's role Definitely, that the, I don't want to be arguing my rate card with the client directly. I'd much rather talk to the procurement about that and have a sensible commercial conversation, where it doesn't feel that I, n- I need to talk about money. Well, it's actually not me that talks about money in our agency anyway. I'm not allowed to because I always do terrible deals. So somebody somebody else does that. But um, but yeah, I'm sure
1: all the procurement people out there will be <laughs> taking notes.
3: <laughs> and negotiate with James. I have, go, I have to stop you there. I'm not allowed to discuss that. That is well um, below my uh, above
1: my pay great. What's your view on this, Mandy, in, in terms, terms of the commoditization of, of PR?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with, I agree with James. It, it just depends on, on the brands, though. I think it's really varied um, across across the board, really. But we did see a brief recently that came through um, where I think it said the agency, one of the key factors in cho- in choosing a right agency will be based on cost and via the procurement. That's right that's right up. Right up. And we just said, no, not yep. doing it. Just didn't pitch it.
1: Because I imagine in I some yeah, in, in some places you'd is. find out pretty early on that what it's, what it's really about. Well the point yeah. is that yeah. if you're in if you're in a field of five agencies
3: pitching and you know that somebody could undercut you and it would be the slight difference between a ten percent cost saving mm. and a better idea, it's like what why would you do that? Mm. And it also means exactly. that you're questioning whether or not the organization really recognises the value of what PR can do mm. in terms of brand building and how much that does in terms of the long term revenues and fortunes of a company, if you're going to cheapen the, the service, then in the
1: long run, that's mm. probably, you know, a red flag. Do, do you think that, though, that is partly the industry's fault, that you have agencies out there that are willing to sort of lowball and, and undercut? Definitely. The big giant
3: agencies are able to do that far more because they are about scale. The big super tanker agencies, I would say, are able to go in and steal and, 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 and steal a
1: deal like that because it's all about scale. Okay. Mm. We don't have any big super tanker agencies to defend themselves on this particular <laughs> podcast, but we do have Tanya. Tanya, what do you think about? Mm. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that you don't currently have a huge involvement with procurement, but mm. you have in the past. What, what is your view about procurement and the role they play in perhaps commoditizing um, PR and well, concept?
4: I, I mean, I would agree that I would always sort of like push back against that. You know, if you had a procurement team that is trying to sort of distill it down to a question of cost then I think, you know, it's up to the comms team to push back on that internally and say, you know, that's not the primary, you know, basis on which we're making this selection. You know, we're, we're looking for a strategic partner and the sort of all the things that we've been talking up until now, the relationship, the understanding of the business, the kind of creative thinking, the strategic now. So these are all things that we value more than we do the kind of lowest price. Mm. Um, so I've not personally been in a situation where I've seen procurement push it that far. I mean, I've certainly been in conversations where, you know, you've had a robust discussion about sort of some of the selection criteria. But I think mostly I've worked with procurement teams who are willing to listen um, and willing to kind of, you know, approach it collaboratively and kind of support where the support is needed and to call out where they think terms, you know, are unnecessary or are not aligned to what we're trying to do as a business or to other sort of, you know, suppliers that we have. But generally, I think it's a two-way kind of collaboration to kind of get a deal that works, you know, both in terms of the relationship and the business objectives you're trying to solve for and in terms of actually kind of consistency across the board about the relationships and partnerships that you have.
1: Well, what about the role of pitch consultants, the people who help agencies never and them. never use them? Okay. No. James? <laughs> I've never used them. <laughs> I've,
0: I've never won a pitch through a pitch when a pitch consultant's been involved. Really? Yeah.
1: Are, are they often involved in European pitches?
0: Mm, no. There's probably been three or four occasions this year, I would say, where there's been mm-hmm. a pitch occasion, a pitch, a pitch consultant, and I, I either haven't bothered to pitch it or we've had a few chats and then kind of it's not been right. I think they work well with when there's big agencies and there's lots of big agencies. I think they don't work so well when there's a range of different agencies, mm. if you know what I mean, because I think it's too broad and it starts that whole thing of there being 15 agencies and everyone has to send in their staff and it just gets a bit...
3: Oh, so, a bit sorry, well, I think when, when you say a pitch consultant, do you mean one of these um, agencies that manages the pitch on behalf of the, the client? client? That's right, yes. oh, Okay, so, yes, fine, yes. sorry. Yes. So, yeah, I've, I've done one of those and I think for the same reasons that I'm not a massive fan of the way that procurement puts up a brick wall between you and the and the client it is another layer and it just you you again i think they in that one experience that i did have i remember it was very typical of how procurement would run it where they say please send us any questions that you have for this uh, against the brief and all agencies submit their questions and all agencies will have them all fired back at them on the same thing so there's no opportunity to sort of you know, get get stuck into a particular insight uh, uh, around a problem. So,
0: I so think no. it's just having another person in between agency and client makes it difficult. Because I think the best pitches and the best relationships are when there's a connection between the two. Because just sitting in a room and having a chat with someone, you can instinctively feel what they want, even if they don't use the words. So uh-huh. sometimes it's like I find a lot of the time it's reading between the lines of a brief or understanding from nuances of things they've said that you get a much better feel for what it is that they want and then you end up winning that pitch because you've been there you've met them you know from your gut and you can't you know you can't have gut written on a scorecard you know there's they also have procurement also do scorecards and all this kind of stuff when you're in pitches and often i've seen scorecards change the subject a bit um which don't relate to the pitch at all Mm -hmm. so they've sent through a scorecard the night before we've gone to do the pitch And we've looked at our pitch, we've just written, and we've looked at the brief, and we've looked at the scorecard, and we're like, there's like three different things in it, (laughs) you know, or two different things. The scorecard doesn't even match necessarily the brief, so then you start rewriting the pitch to fit the scorecard, and then Mm. it's just a total mess. So, I okay. I can
3: It's really easy for agencies to whinge about how it's yeah. all how, how how unfair it all is and how difficult and broken it is. But ultimately, I think on the client side, it is just a huge headache for them mm. as well. Huge headache. Yeah. Jockeying those number of agencies with all of their questions, the meeting time, the telephone time, the all of the stuff. I can completely see why people would use a third party person or would need to lean on
1: procurement to try and help them. Mm. It's a massive undertaking. Mm. Okay. Other areas or points of friction, um, one of the things I often hear from agencies is the cost involved and the resource involved in pitches. And there's a, a bit of debate about whether um, agencies should be paid to pitch. Or What are your views on, on this idea that agencies should be paid to pitch? Mandy?
0: Um, I think it would be fabulous if agencies <laughs> were paid to pitch, obviously. Um, in fact, we have been paid to pitch quite a number of times, um, which has been great. I think... When we've been on rosters and there's been, I don't know, say four agencies on that roster and they've um, asked, they've got a particular brief and they've asked two of their agencies to pitch, And there are some clients that have paid both agencies to pitch for that because there's a set number of briefs and they want everyone to feel incentivised and motivated to, to give their best work. And it's not fortunes of money, but it does cover some of the agencies' costs and it does make the agency feel, okay, there's that mutual respect thing and they value our time. And, you know, if we don't win it, we haven't wasted thousands of pounds. We've wasted some thousands of pounds, but not all thousands of pounds, because you've mm. been reimbursed. So there is there is something to be said for that. And I think, you know, I don't, yeah, I think that would be amazing if more clients mm. did that. So
1: James, you, I mean, you mentioned before that you do two pitches a week. I mean, surely being paid, that, that would be a huge money saver, wouldn't it not? It, w- it would do. I mean, um, that, that
3: would obviously be great. We have been paid for pitches in the past. Um but I don't think that is going to become widespread anytime soon in the agency world. The ad agency haven't managed to world haven't managed to to solve this one either. Mm. We ask really tough searching questions of ourselves when these briefs come in, mm. so is this the right fit? you know do, are they a bold enlightened challenge brand who, who which is the stable of brands that we want to represent people who want to do things differently, people who want to shake things up, people who want to stand out within their category. If they don't have any evidence of having done that, then we really want to meet the person who is at the helm of that agency and hear personally from them about their vision, about why they're going to shake it up. Because a quick look on their social media feeds or a Google News search and you get a sense of where they are in terms of their appetite for risk and their appetite to want to do things. So we put in lots and lots of time to try and... Do the best possible sense check about whether or not this is this is the right client for us, mm. and as a result, we have a much much higher strike rate than we did twelve years twelve months ago, um, when perhaps you just get drunk on the excitement of people going, "Hey, you want to pitch?" and you just go and do it, and then you you realise that you have burned hours and
1: hours of time and um, for doing it. Tanya, does Snapchat pay agencies to pitch? And is that something you would consider doing?
4: Um, it's not something we do. I'm not saying that we wouldn't consider it. I mean, How much? I think, yeah.
1: <laughs> come on, <laughs> exclusive.
4: Exclusive
3: here now. 10K um, per pitch. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think what we try to do at the moment is see it as an investment on both sides. I think we try to keep the field really small. So I think we were talking before, we don't invite more than two or three into a pitch. Uh, we try to keep it a really narrow sort of brief. So while we'll try and give a lot of information about the broader business and the sort of challenges and the opportunities, we do ask maybe for a response to one or two problems. Mm-hmm. And we just ask for one or two ideas on each of that. So we try not to kind of give a kind of, you know, a request for absolutely everything that means hours and hours of time. We try to give a decent amount of, you know, the insight and and sort of background without the agency having to go out and find that for themselves. We try to make ourselves available for, you know, at the agency's convenience for further questions and time. So we're not on a timetable to do that. Um, And we try to give adequate time. um, And we're quite flexible also about ways of responding. Some of our responses have been face to face. uh, Some are, you know, VC led. Some are sort of written to a problem. Um, so I think we try to be respectful of the investment that agencies are making and make it proportionate to the investment that we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, at the moment, we're not paying for sort of pitch time, but we are trying to make sure that it's a very limited sort of well-constructed approach. Have
1: you, have you worked at a company that previously that pays for agencies to pitch? No. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to touch um, base on as well is this idea of when agencies go into a pitch process, come with this fantastic idea, and then the client says, no, see you later. But then half a year later... Lo and behold, that ID gets used. Mm. Um, This happened or allegedly happened recently between um, Manifest and BrewDog, which they've amicably resolved, which is nice. Um, I just wanted to ask um, some views about this and how prevalent it is and what can be done to better protect agencies' IP in the pitch process. Mandy?
0: Um, It's a really tricky one. Um, I think we talked about this previously. It's it's very very difficult to protect IP. I mean, we've had this this happen to us a number of times, mm. um, and it it go. You know, you can go so far with it, and there will always be something that's maybe slightly different between your idea that you pitched and then the new agency's idea that they sometimes somehow are activating like a different like, design can. Yes, exactly. There'll be some slight change in nuance. Mm. Um, it's I don't know the answer on this. I mean, every. I'm, I, Sure, you do the same, James. You, everyone puts, you know, IP protection, legal words at the mm-hmm. end of their pitches, et cetera. Um, but unless you want to go to court, which most agencies don't want to do because it's a load of money, load of time, et cetera, um, agencies are quite vulnerable in this, I would say. And I, I don't know the answer. but James, it's, you James do,
1: do you know the answer? <sighs>
3: I mean, we've got quite a good mutual NDA, which sort of covers off both sides when when you're exchanging ideas. Um, I've only once had to go fully legal on somebody for stealing our ideas, and we were really successful, and, and we were well paid for it. Um, and... Um, that was really unfortunate i think the the more probably one of the, the hardest things to protect is that when you're going in to talk to a client about their, their brand problem or their the mission that they're trying to achieve is that very often the insight and the approach about how you're going to do it is really what unlocks the creative magic so it's not necessarily the execution of a single creative idea but it's more like how would we approach this from a and a more of an a, a, an insight powered solution about where your problem lies that sort of high level thinking potentially can create a platform from which they can do a whole year's worth of work mm. and that is far harder to protect than saying we will set fire to the Thames or, or whatever you want to do as an idea to launch <laughs> Snapchat's like. new set fire feature or whatever you've got. Um,
1: so individual ideas, I think, relatively straightforward, but high-level thinking harder. Sure. Tanya, I can't imagine you've ever stolen anyone's IP before, but have you heard about this happening before? And what do you think agencies can do to better protect their, their, their IP?
4: I mean, these guys are going to have the better sense of really the sort of the tools to protect but i you know absolutely not having you know wouldn't take an idea i mean i think you know i think having worked agency side as well as having um work client side i appreciate the sort of time and effort and thinking that g- goes in not only at the sort of like high level strategic um point of view but also in terms of generating you know really creative thinking um you know I, I, I do think agencies should be reimbursed, and I think, you know, if somebody wants to take an idea that they've seen in a pitch, if they've chosen another agency to run with, um, because they feel that across the board that relationship is, is going to be stronger, but they really like an idea that they've seen, I think they should have an adult conversation with the agency in question and discuss the terms on which they could you know work with the other agency on that idea and what a fair remuneration would be and it should be a you know an adult and civilized conversation about it rather than suddenly the idea popping up Hmm. elsewhere um i do think the one thing i suppose that is is difficult is that some agencies do come in with the same ideas they are different but they start from the same kernel Hmm. you know so you'll sometimes see sort of similar thinking because the Brief has led people down a, a similar line, and there will be. Well, that's
3: a perfect opportunity for procurement to step in and go. Yeah. Just to flag, we saw this idea, and that could, they could easily do that as a really helpful mm. job. Yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah,
4: yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: How much will you do this idea for? Yeah, start debating. Okay, before we move on to solutions, are any other bugbears of the current process? I can see James looking oh, at his long list. God, <laughs> um, I think that just
3: the t- probably. It's not very. It's not a very level playing field when it comes to the time that we have to respond to a brief versus how long you're, it's going to take to actually hear about what the outcome is. And I appreciate that there's probably lots of committees and, and and stuff on the other side, but it would be good to know that if we're going to work, if we're going to burn midnight all for 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 a week to deliver a good solution, that when you say you'll be back to us on Friday, it will be this Friday and not not Friday next next oh, month. Yeah. Um, I think that gives you a bit of confidence that, you know, we're on both sides that we're all putting in a lot of time.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to solutions, a final part of this podcast. Um, should pitching be ripped up? Uh, what are some other ideas in terms of how um, clients can choose agency partners? I'll start off with you, Tanya.
4: I was going to be interested to hear what these guys said first. But, no, well, um... We can start with, with
1: you, Mandy. If no,
4: no, it's fine. Sure. Um, what would I think instead of um, solutions? I mean, I just think it's it, it depends on what you're looking for um, and, and what the objective is. Um, you know, sometimes it can be an existing relationship that you already have the sort of inherent knowledge about the company, you have the relationship, and then you feel that that can transfer into a a slightly different role um, and providing support in a slightly different area of the business. And that might not need to be open to sort of a competitive pitch. That might be just be an ongoing conversation and ideation with a particular existing partner and mm-hmm. um, you might have a very discreet piece of work and again you might be able to do that not through a pitch but through conversations and meetings and you might be able to kind of eliminate the need to sort of have a formal process behind that Mm -hmm. but I think if you're looking for a partner that you're going to be working with on an ongoing basis over the course of a year you know the pitch continues to be a pretty good way to do that but I think as we've all kind of discussed here it comes down to respect and an understanding of what's you know, what the investment is on both sides and that commitment from both sides. Um, Because at the end of the day, if you're going to be working together, you know, you want to start that off on a positive footing. You don't want it to be, you know, on the back of resentment on either side Mm. over something in the process.
1: Okay. Mandy, what Mm. ideas do you have about how the process can be improved or if we need a new Mm. process?
0: I think the, the process we have could be simplified. I think at the moment there's a number of, kind of layers to a big pitch there's normally at least three stages sometimes more um, and they can go on for weeks Mm -hmm. when we've just one started in february i believe um you know that's a long time to be going through the pitch process i i wonder whether you know a pitch process which is all about a connection of people as we've discussed is a chemistry session over a coffee an informal chemistry session where both parties talk about their needs and you know, what the agency can do to potentially help. There's a challenge involved potentially. Um, And from that, you should really have a pretty good idea of whether that agency is going to be right for that job. It might be that you need one more stage, but if you could do it in kind of a one- or two-stage process, Mm -hmm. to me that immediately cuts out hours of time. Mm -hmm. Um, But that involves, I suppose, the client really researching the agencies that they're bringing on board at the very beginning so there's not so much wastage and, you know, it's... Keeping it quite small,
1: so trimming a lot of the fat out of the process. Basically. I think you could
0: trim a lot of mm. the fat out of the pitch sure. process, definitely.
1: James, I think um, I think collaborations is the is the, is the key
3: word for me, which has already been said. Mm. But I think that briefs can some t- a tight brief can sometimes can constrain what an agency could bring to the table in terms of sort of bigger strategic thinking. And I know that design agencies, for example, very often do what they call chemistry pitches. Um, where a client will pretty much make their decision on who they're going to work with after having had um, one of these chemistry meetings. So the idea is that you could work from there collaboratively Mm. to co-develop the overall scope of the work and Mm -hmm. the big idea together. Um, There is so much amazing talent on the client side, which very often is kept out of the room or out of the discussion in terms of making an idea bigger and better. But the onus on the agency to come in with a perfect solution—it feels like ridiculous. Um, if you haven't been able to spend that time properly, properly building it, um, so you know you could, um, you know, clients could trial, you know, new, newer agency, uh, new agencies by having a smaller uh, roster of people that they're working on smaller briefs, with paid work almost from the get-go, and doing a series of smaller creative sprints to see what what they could do together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think that this idea of the fact that the agency are going to be the solution to all of your worries and woes and have all of the best ideas and all of the best media contacts and all of the best insights is a nonsense. Mm. Okay. You have to move towards a position where we're working far more collaboratively. But, you know, to the earlier point, the pitch is there as a, a creative test which shows thinking and and. And execution ideas and creativity.
1: Probably we're not going to move much past that, but it it is really only a, a test. Okay. Fantastic. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank our guests, Tanya, Mandy and James for taking part. Um, PR Week is going to continue this conversation. We're actually planning to have another podcast where we speak to people from procurement and we speak to fish consultants. So please <laughs> Can make I come? sure. Yeah,
0: have to be a flower the wall for that one.
1: Absolutely. I'm on holiday that week. <laughs> please make sure you stay tuned and join us for that. Um, I'd also like to thank our production partners, Marketeers, for putting together this podcast. I'm Arvid Hickman. Until next time, Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman.
3: Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us
1: a nice review. Hi.